and we're live with Be Green with Amy. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Be Green with Amy. I'm Amy. After adopting a whole food plant-based lifestyle, my hubby Rick and I lost over 130 pounds. Now I coach others on their plant-based journey. Just has voice. Let's welcome our guest. Jessica Krant, MD, is a board-certified dermatologist. Dr. Krant loves to teach that we optimize our health and lives by taking care of ourselves, both inside and out, mind, body, and skin. Please click like to help Be Green with Amy. Welcome, Dr. Jessica Krant. Greetings, Dr. Krant. Welcome. So excited to be here. I'm so happy to have you. I am a big fan, really am. You just have so much information to share, and I'm so excited. We have had a lot of people that have been anticipating your appearance, and they emailed to me some questions, but we are also going to be taking live questions as well. What I wanted to do, Dr. Cram, we're going to be talking, well, you're a dermatologist, so we're going to be talking about the health of our skin, and that's a really important thing to talk about. As a lot of people are learning, the skin is our largest organ, and it tells a lot about us and a lot about our health. So what we're going to do is we're going to play our game, True or False. It's time for True or False on Be Green with Amy Live. Answer True or False to Amy's questions in the comments below, and Amy will ask our guest for the expert answer. So here's our first question, True or False. Although how we age can be genetic, most effects of aging can be controlled by lifestyle. You guys type in true or false what you think that is, and then we're going to ask Dr. Grant to talk about that. Go ahead, Dr. Grant. Well, I will say this: it's true that our lifestyle greatly affects our aging. That it is, it's not true that it's completely controlled by our lifestyle, but what our lifestyle does is the choices we make in our diet, in our exercise, in our sleep, in our stress management, our relationships, and how we live our lives affects something called the epigenetics. And that is the the signals that control the genetics. The genetics are the DNA, the genes, that, and the epigenetics are the switches, switching the genes on and off. So how we live our lives and our lifestyle choices controls the signals that determine which genes turn on and which genes turn off. And that completely controls our aging in terms of what we are able to control. That's not just purely DNA and inherited. Wow, that's a really big deal. We were talking about earlier before we started, we were talking about the gut microbiome, which is like a really popular topic lately. People are now thinking because they hear about the gut microbiome, they're thinking, okay, so all I have to worry about is those trillions of little guys that are living inside of my gut. But there's a lot more to that as far as our health and our skin health. Do you want to talk about that? That is pretty much everything. It really is, it leads to a web of so many important topics. One thing I do want to say is that our gut health and our gut microbiome health does directly impact our skin health. Even though our skin has its own separate microbiome as well, which are different microbes than live in the gut, but the, our, we have a gut skin axis. And that means there's a direct highway between our gut and our skin. If what we eat and the health of the lining of our gut, the variety of the balanced 
microbiome ecosystem in our gut directly affects how much inflammation our skin has and how our skin functions. The other relationship between the gut and the skin, besides the fact that they both have microbiomes, is that they are both the home of the two largest um, sources of the immune system in our bodies. So our gut is an immune system because it regulates the exposure to the outside world that comes in through our mouths. And our skin has its own immune system because it regulates our exposure to the outside world through our skin. So the gut and the skin are heavily related in both of those ways. And one of my favorite little metaphors is that when we are developing as embryos, right at the very beginning, we have a little ball of cells that grows that's called a blastula. And it's like a a round ball. And eventually that ball starts to involute and turns into an olive and it has a tube that goes all the way through. What that process is called gastrulation. And then the blastula turns into a gastrula. That is like a ball with a hole through it. That tube that goes through it is what turns into our gut. So you can see that it's actually all the same surface. Our skin on the outside and the gut on the inside, it's all one surface and in math and in geometry, we call that shape a torus, that it's like shaped like a donut. So that donut shape is a solid shape that has only one side. And that's our bodies, weird as it is to say. Our gut and our skin are so closely related that in our embryological development, they're almost the same for a while. Wow, that is just so fascinating. When we have all this technology around us and all these distractions around us, sometimes it's just hard for us to think about the fact that we're just we're just animals, <laughs> you know. And at the end of the day, we our body is pretty much ruling everything that we're doing, and we really need to take better care of it. It's so interesting. And then you think about all the different microscopic things that are crawling on our skin and then our eyelashes, and we're just basically uh, a host, I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, I know it's not too flattering to think of it that way, but, you know, I just want to say, in case I don't get a chance to say it later, that our food choices, uh, we have that gut-skin axis. But also just remember everybody that our gut is also the source of most of the development and creation of our neurotransmitters that affect our brain and our our nervous system. And that the health of our gut also directly affects the health of our brains. So what we actually have is a gut, brain, skin axis. Mm. And all three of those systems communicate constantly with each other in all directions. Our mood affects what we want to eat. Our What we eat affects our mental health and our mood. And both of them affect our skin. And they're all related because in that embryological development, they all are actually have some ectodermal component, which originally was the outer layer of this embryo ball, the blastula. That outer layer is called the ectoderm. And that creates our brain, our nervous system, Um, And that nervous system goes into the skin and it also goes into the nervous system that surrounds the gut called the enteric nervous system. And they all talk to each other, which is stuff we're just, just starting to learn about now, how amazing and sophisticated that enteric nervous system is. We kind of 
wrote it off as not really our brain or our spinal cord in the past, but we now know it's controlling. When we have a gut feeling, it is not, that's not just a metaphor. That's, you know, really happening. So impressive that a dermatologist has all this knowledge and, and you have so much knowledge about skin and, and about different conditions, but that you've gone further and learned more. And that is so impressive. And I'm so happy that you're here to share that knowledge. So we were talking about the gut. So let's put up our next true or false question. It's true or false. When we eat animal products, they have factors that directly contribute to aging. Okay, Dr. Krant, what do you say? Okay, I wonder what everyone has put in the chat. Yeah. But I will say that this is true. Besides the fact that I wanted my body to be healthy and my skin to be clear, it was sure motivating to me when I learned about this true fact that if I want to look as young as possible, in addition to being and feeling as healthy as possible, that I want to avoid animal products. Dairy has many factors that contribute to aging and uh, meat has factors that contribute to aging, especially when it's cooked at high heat and you get that crispy burned fat and burned little burned edges of the meat that actually is directly contributing to aging as well in a few scientific ways that maybe we'll have a chance to get into later. That's something that I think that a lot of the people that are trying to promote this lifestyle, they're wishing that they could at least appeal to maybe some of the younger people. Seems like a lot of the younger people are concerned about the environment and the animals and that's great. But th those of them that are not sure about that, as far as health goes, it's really hard to appeal to them as far as this goes. But knowing that there are people that are 18 years old and they're getting plastic surgery and all kinds of treatments and things done to them just to start <laughs> their journey into their skin looking youthful. So if they would know that something like this is so possible to do and it wouldn't be as invasive, it could be really helpful. So I'm glad that you brought that up. I agree, you know, what's wonderful and I, what I'm having so much fun with and why I feel like, you know, as, as we talked about before, at this later stage in my career, because I think I'm probably older than people may think looking at me, um, I have found that everything that I care about aligns in this one path. I get to protect animals. I get to help the environment and say, help save the planet. Um, but I really started on the journey because I found out there was just no two ways about it, that this was the healthiest way to eat and the healthiest way to live. And I was really concerned about my brain health and the health of my bones. It just is a bonus that it actually scientifically is proven that living a plant-based lifestyle and of course minimizing stress and getting healthy sleep are also scientifically proven to reduce the signs of aging. So I was thinking, bonus, I get everything I want. And it also helps me teach everybody because as you said, everyone hooks into a different part of that story and each everybody has a different part that's more meaningful to them. And I think it really is a, uh, able to be a message that is broadly received, even among people who don't think that it would be for them. Once they hear the information and hear the evidence, it does. I do convert some surprised people. So it's been a lot of fun. What about chocolate, guys? True or false? Chocolate causes acne. There are different levels of different types of chocolate. It is absolutely 100% true that the traditional drugstore candy milk chocolate contributes to acne. And that is largely because of the milk and dairy and the sugar 
involved in milk chocolate. There's also a lot of uh, saturated fat in cocoa butter. So those three definitely contribute to acne directly. As the chocolate gets darker and darker, those factors re are reduced. The dairy is reduced and the sugar, the, the simple sugar is reduced. Now, it is controversial about whether cacao itself directly contributes to acne. I think it's st we're still on the fence. Some, there's some evidence that it might actually truly directly contribute to acne, but it's a little bit newer, so I wouldn't say for sure. I, what I can say are two things. I have a, I have a permanent stash of 95% dark chocolate. It's in my freezer. I, I'm not a huge chocolate fiend, but I'll eat a one square every couple of weeks. And I have no problem eating that. I think of it as very healthy. Chocolate has a lot, cacao is a lot of antioxidants and healthy, healthy factors in it. But it is also true that everybody's skin is a little different. Everyone's metabolism and overall diet and lifestyle is a little bit different. So if you're eating dark chocolate and you are convinced that it makes you break out, it may be true for you and that's okay. And you can decide if you want to cut it out. Okay, very good. I think we talked about this a little bit, but let's just address it. True or false, beauty sleep is a myth. What does everybody think? What do you think, Dr. Grant? I'm trying to make sure I don't do a double negative. Um, <laughs> false, beauty sleep is real. Beauty sleep is real. Not only in the short term, they actually did a study where they showed photographs of young people to each other before and after good nights of sleep. And they all chose the better rested photos at, not all, but the higher percentage chose the better rested photos as appearing healthier, younger, and stronger, um, and more attractive. So in the short term, after a few nights, you definitely are more attractive if you sleep better. But also in the long term, poor sleep leads to uh, chronic elevated levels of stress, elevated cortisol stress hormone, and uh, an inability for the cortisol to have its normal daily cycle, which is one of the things that drives our metabolism in a healthy way with our circadian rhythm, with the day and the night cycle. When our body knows it needs, it's sleeping, it's repairing, and it's removing damaged DNA and damaged collagen and uh, other factors that are breaking down our skin. So we wanna get a true good nights of sleep, not only directly for our skin, but of course, for our memory, our brain health. We know our brains get cleared out when we're sleeping well at night. But anyway, beauty sleep is real. Okay, so sleeping beauty, we have to keep that in our minds. <laughs> this is so important that I, it's one of my favorite things to know about managing our weight. When we don't get a good night's sleep, the hormones that control our hunger and our satiety are out of balance. The hormone hunger is ghrelin or ghrelin. And I think of it as growling, hunger growling. That's how we remember, I remember it. But when we don't sleep well, our body feels like it's under stress and it you know, biologically starts to go on the hunt for food to keep the energy up and to make sure that we're safe and that we are able to be protected. So the ghrelin, the ghrelin is elevated the entire 24 hour period after a night of poor sleep. So that's why when we're not well rested, we just feel like we wanna snack all the time. We go for high calorie, more processed junk foods. 
and quick energy. And that quick energy, we have to keep replenishing all day because it of course wears off and we are tired. So we eat really badly the days after a good, a good, a bad night of sleep. When we sleep well, our leptin, which is the hormone that signals satiety and that we've had enough to eat, our leptin is higher when we sleep well. So it's absolutely true for me. When I get good nights of sleep, I really don't think much about food the next day. I go through my day, I have energy. Food is not a controlling factor. But when I'm exhausted, I'm constantly looking for food um, to entertain my brain, to keep my energy up. So because we know that snacking also tends to lead to unhealthy food choices, we also know that that will lead us to be eating foods that are bad for our skin and bad for our signs of aging. So in that way, also beauty sleep is real and we definitely want to get our good sleep. Okay, I guess some people are just going to have to think about that. <laughs> We're always trying to do so much, take advantage of all the electric light that we have and all the different technology. But yeah, it's true. And I think that so much research is showing about not just what you're saying, but the different benefits of sleep. We're meant to be sleeping a certain amount of time. And I think that that's something that people have to think about a little bit more. Okay. True or false, sugar makes your skin age. Hmm. What do you say? I say true. Definitely, definitely true. Sugar, like high heat cooked animal products that get that crispiness, create something called the, the sugar gets turned into, uh, sugar is glucose. And when it gets chemically altered in our bodies, it becomes gly glycated. And advanced glycation end products are what happens to sugar in our bodies. And that advanced glycation end product, AGE, is actually damaging to our collagen and our elastin and attaches to them, makes them brittle and makes them break. So when our collagen and our elastic fibers are breaking, we are losing our elasticity, our juiciness and our freshness and the skin will thin out, get duller, get broken down and show more wrinkles. So it is absolutely true that sugar directly causes aging. Now, when we talk about sugar, what about when people, for instance, with me, I like to have my plant-based desserts that I prepare at home, or I really should say my husband does because he, he's the principal cook, but I like to sweeten things with dates or raisins. So how is that compared to the sugar? Is that a difference? If you take a whole date or whole raisins that have the fiber and you grind them up and it's the fruit itself and you put it into the dessert, it's better because the fiber and all of the nutrients of the date are still there. Now, it is a little bit technically processed by you because it's ground up and it's not being chewed by your own teeth, but it's still way better than date sugar, which can be just the watered, the, the sugar itself extracted from the date where the fiber and the nutrients are removed. So make your own date sweetener at home and because that is that is much better and healthier for you than dried sugar crystals, no matter where they come from. Beet sugar, date sugar, if they're just the sugar extract, they're just sugar. I do like my chocolate. Usually it's in the form of something that we make at home, maybe a chocolate cupcake. We even make chocolate candy with date paste and it's a treat, but at least 
I feel a little bit better about that. <laughs> right. A treat. Of course, you know, there's something called orthorexia, which is an eating disorder. And that is an eating disorder in which people are so severely concerned that they might eat something wrong, that they actually deprive themselves and create mental distress and uh, are not able to really eat a variety of healthy foods because they get so restricted. So mm -hmm. I never say, don't give yourself a treat. I just say, when you give yourself a treat, know it's a treat, do it in moderation, and then go right back to your fresh, whole food, widely varied, you know, plant lifestyle and go from there. Don't beat yourself up about it. Excellent. Life is for living. If we're going to be living a long time because we're going to be eating healthy, then we need to give ourselves some healthy treats in moderation, like you said, so that this way we can enjoy ourselves. True or false, soy in the diet can help slow down aging of the skin. Hmm. What do you think, Dr. Grant? I'm so glad you are asking about soy. Uh, true soy reduces aging and true soy is healthy. There, was, there were a few decades of now a disproven and retracted myth that soy was unhealthy for certain groups of people with different health issues. And also many years ago, I believe it was Maxim Magazine printed a story that soy was feminizing for men because they thought they had identified the, the estrogenic compounds in soy called phytoestrogen, which is a plant estrogen. And they thought that it would compete in men and act like estrogen and feminize men. It turns out that is completely false. It was a complete misunderstanding of phytoestrogen in soy and that soy does not feminize men at all. Men do not have to worry. They can eat soybeans, edamame, tofu, and all of the soy foods without worrying. Soy is also now proven to be not only preventive of recurring breast cancer in any type of breast cancer, uh, receptor positive or not, but also it's been proven now to actually pre prevent and reduce the chance of getting breast cancer at all. So there are now no known causes to be concerned about eating soy. In fact, a lot of my, the experts that I follow recommend trying to have some soy almost every day. Yes, and I enjoy the soy. <laughs> enjoy the soy. <laughs> I do. I'm glad you talked about that. Okay, so Debbie has a question. Can giving up dairy help with acne? Oh, Debbie. About that. I am a former cheeseaholic still in recovery, not having had any cheese at all, ever. Not any real dairy cheese since I became 100% plant-based. And I'm sorry to say that yes, dairy is the number one proven dietary link to acne, not only in teenagers, but in any age. Dairy has, especially dairy from cows, but all animal dairy has, uh, has insulin-like growth factor and saturated fats, sugars, and hormones, and even the milk dairy proteins themselves, the casein and the whey, all contribute to triggering inflammation in our bodies and also directly to acne, directly to increased sebum production from our oil glands. And it's proven through multiple studies that cutting dairy out of our diets completely, including 
protein powders made from whey, which are most protein shakes that are not vegan. And energy bars and things have a lot of milk, solids, powdered dairy and whey protein in them. Those count as acne triggers. Cutting all of that out of our diets can clear up some people's acne completely. Not everybody necessarily, but it is a massive contributor to acne. I'm glad you brought the whey protein because some people don't even realize that it is made from dairy. So I, I think about those old nursery rhymes about curds and whey, and that's what it is, guys. From the milk, you have the curds and you have the whey. And now these companies have figured out instead of throwing away the whey, they can actually sell it in the form of those protein powders. So probably not a good idea to use those. I'm glad you talked about that. Okay, so we have another question from Richard. I have fatty deposits under my eyes. Suggestion. Uh, Richard, of course, I'm not looking at you and you're not my patient, so I can't technically give you medical advice, nor can I tell what exactly your the fatty deposits under your eyes are, are made from. If they are yellowish, they could be something called xanthelasma, which is actually a cholesterol deposit under the skin. And that may be increased in people who do have high cholesterol, but it can also just happen randomly in people who don't have high cholesterol. That has to be physically removed by your dermatologist. That has to be destroyed in the skin, um, either lasered or burned or put a little bit of a chemical peel on it. And it has to be removed from the skin. It heals very well. If they are syringomas, which are little glands under the eyes, those can be, they're just naturally overdeveloped glands that can be very difficult to treat. But your dermatologist may be able to zap them a little bit and shrink them down. And if they are actual fat pads, which are can be very genetic, bulging out of the eye sockets, those can really only be fixed with surgery. I don't know if there's any lifestyle or dietary change that can make a big difference, but it's possible that reducing dairy, reducing animal products and reducing sodium intake may shrink them and, and they may appear to be a little bit better. Yeah, there's so many things that dermatologists do and I don't think that people realize <laughs> that, you, that people, it's not just about acne, there's so many things that people would see a dermatologist for and, and we should talk about that a little bit later, but we have some more questions. So Ellen said, my facial pores are so large. Advice. Oh, Ellen, uh, pores are so you know frustrating to people. Mainly they're highly genetic and they're very hormonally related. So most of the time we can't do a lot to drastically change them. First, I would just like to say everybody has different natural pore sizes and it's normal that our pores are larger in the central T-zone of our faces. It's normal that the pores are larger here and around here and on our chin. And a lot of people have been trained by the television to believe that those, when they see black dots on their noses, that those are blackheads that have to be medically treated because they're acne. And I just wanna say here on your show, Amy, that those are not blackheads. Those are normal enlarged pores that have normal sebum, which is the oil in our skin uh, from our sebaceous glands. Uh, the sebum that sits in those pores helps to moisturize our skin and our sebaceous glands are what keep our skin young and help us heal from injuries. So that sebum is not evil and it's not bad for us. But when it sits in the pores, 
it does oxidize at the tip, like a like it gets a little tarnished, like silver. And that oxidation turns the tip of that sebum plug black. So that little black dot looks like what they call on TV a blackhead. It's not, it's not a pimple. But there are some features that some treatments that may help shrink the pores and reduce the appearance of those black tipped sebum plugs. One of the treatments is salicylic acid. That is what we also know as beta hydroxy acid. And that's in a lot of over-the-counter skin products right now. Salicylic acid goes into the pores a little bit and it does help dissolve some of that sebum and it helps to unclog and exfoliate a little bit deeper into the pore openings than the alpha hydroxy acids do. So some of the salicylic acid products for your face you can use to clean out the pores, which actually helps shrink the openings a little bit. Another treatment is uh, maybe a retinoid, a retinol or a prescription strength retinoid, or there is now a plant-based retinoid or retinoid analog called bacuchiol. It comes from a plant and it may work similarly to over-the-counter retinol. Retinoids are the entire family of vitamin A derivative molecules. Retinol is the over-the-counter version. And then there's a bunch of topical creams that are prescription strength. And then there's Accutane, which is the pill version. So those are all retinoids. And Bacuchiol is the new kit on the block, the plant-based retinoid cousin. And now is that only by prescription? No, the Bacuchiol is over the counter. In oh, the, wow. In the, it's just like retinol. You can uh -huh. probably start to find it in some drugstore formulations, but it's definitely on the internet and definitely in the fancy skincare stores. Mm -hmm. But I want to also go back and just say, back to the dairy and back to sugar. When we reduce dairy and reduce processed sugars and processed flour, white flour out of our diet, it may reduce the oil production in our skin, which can reduce the size of the oil glands and may reduce the size of the openings and may appear to shrink the pores. So that may be a, a path also for you. Well, that's awesome. And that's great advice that somebody could get from someone like you, who isn't just about giving a pill or procedure, but you also can consider the lifestyle. And that's so important. Okay, Carla says, I'm 30 years old and I have dark facial hair that needs to be shaved. Suggestions? Oh, excuse me. Um, Carla, some facial hair is normal and genetic for, for some women. It can run in families and it can just be, you know, uh, normal for your family. So it doesn't mean there's anything wrong. Shaving cuts the hairs off right at the skin surface which is better in terms of the risk of creating ingrown hairs. Um, because when you try to pull the hair out, it can create an ingrown hair bump and it just gets worse and worse. But uh, there are really two or three potential ways to stop the hair growth totally. Assuming that there's been a, if you really are concerned, there can be a way to do a hormonal medical workup to make sure that the hair growth is normal and healthy for you and make sure there's no hormonal imbalance. There can be a condition called polycystic ovarian syndrome, and also a condition called insulin resistance, 
that both can contribute to hair growing in places we don't expect it. Those can be addressed medically and with lifestyle interventions. So it's worth seeing your doctor to make sure. But if everything is healthy and fine, lasering the hair, using electrolysis, and potentially a treatment called Vanica are three options, a, a cream called Vanica, V-A-N-I-Q-A, are three options that may reduce the growth of the hair or stop the growth of the hair because that's the only way to really get rid of the hair and not create the bumps. Anything that just takes a hair that's growing and takes it out just leaves a new baby hair trying to grow and that can easily get stuck. So the lasering and the electrolysis try to kill the follicle totally. And the Vanica cream, which went off the market for a while, I don't know if it's back on. The Vanica uh, is a hormonal treatment that works directly at the location of the hair follicle only while you use the cream twice mm -hmm. a day. Okay. So it's kind of like a Rogaine thing. You have to always use it, right? It's the opposite, right? It's trying to, it's like anti-Rogaine. It's trying yeah. to stop the hair follicle yeah. from growing. I, yeah. But also I think, isn't it, I think that Rogaine is something like if you don't continue using it, then you're going to lose the the hair that you gained or kept. So that's that was the analogy. I was making. Oh, yes, absolutely. Like that. Well, yeah. I was agreeing with you. Yes. They, they only work while you're using them. And yeah. as long as you care about the effect, you have to keep using them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're going to either keep shaving or keep applying the cream. So, and that's over the counter also. No, Vanica is prescription only okay. if it, if it's back on the market. Okay, great. All right. So I'm SOS free and that means no sugar, oil, or salt. So Deb wants to know, is coconut oil okay for moisturizing? If not, what do you recommend? Coconut oil is extremely high in saturated fat. It is one of the only plant sources of saturated fat. Palm oil, coconut oil, that may be it. Um, there might be one other. Saturated fat is terrible for us to eat. So we never want to eat it or we want to absolutely minimize it. That, that saturated fat in the coconut oil is also comedogenic. It is nowadays, most moisturizers created for the face are automatically created non-comedogenic, meaning they do not create comedos or comedones, which are plugged pores and plugged follicles, blackheads and whiteheads. So coconut oil is comedogenic. It can actually make you get pimples. So I would not recommend coconut oil as a moisturizer for the face. Now, it is really fine to use it on the body. The body does not have the same oil glands and the same, the same structure, and it's not gonna really create a breakout on the body. So arms and legs, absolutely no problem. Um, but I have actually heard Somebody asked Dr. Greger, the famous Dr. Michael Greger, one of my idols, if putting coconut oil all over can raise your cholesterol because it has, it does raise LDL cholesterol if you eat it. Mm. And he said, potentially, if you really put it all over your entire body every single day for months, it might potentially be absorbed enough to raise your LDL cholesterol. So if you, use coconut oil all over your body every day and your cholesterol is high, it might be something to try. But I really wouldn't worry about it normally. Jesse T wants to know, what is your stance on Botox? Well, I have a 
mixed relationship with Botox. I am not, you know, some people, people who are ethical vegans who are extremely 100% perfectly ethical, perfect vegans, maybe against Botox because Botox is the processed little piece of a dry, dead piece of protein that was generated in a lab by bacteria. The, the same bacteria, Clostridium botulinum, that causes botulism, the food poisoning. But in a lab, they just take the botulism toxin away from the bacteria and put it in a bottle and then let dermatologists put it into your skin in very controlled ways because it severs the signal between the nerve and the muscle very in a very controlled way so that when your nerve fires, your muscle cannot contract. So it stops you from being able to do that. It's very safe when done professionally and appropriately with the correct dose. And it's real medical grade, true Botox or Dysport or Xeomin. There are a few brands, few versions of it. Um, but it's bacteria in a lab. So depending on how you feel about using bacteria to create our anti-aging medicines, um, you know, it may or may not be considered vegan to some. But how do I feel about Botox uh, ethically, morally, and societally? You know, I have mixed feelings. I am, on one hand, completely for us being allowed and able to be empowered to do things that make ourselves feel better. If we feel better when we look better or we think that that makes us look better, who is to tell us no? But I also do have some concerns about the downward creep in age of people looking at themselves and feeling like they, you know, are 22 years old and feel like they need Botox. And I think that the marketing of Botox as preventive for me is a little bit excessive because I think it's training these very young people to feel like they have to start treating themselves with a chemical so they never develop a wrinkle or a sign of expression. Mm. And you know, if I had my druthers, I think I would live in a society where older women who have wrinkles are revered and honored and not spending our lives trying to erase the wrinkles. But that's not the society we live in. So I believe in as long as people are, you know, feeling emotionally healthy and, and are making rash, pretty rational choices, I am happy to help because I trust myself in my decision-making about what will help someone look like a fresher version of themselves and not start to do so much that they look grotesque and look different. And I don't want to help somebody who hates how they look to look like a different person. You know, that's never my goal. So I, I, I like to combine, let's be healthy from the inside out, including emotionally healthy. It's one of the reasons I also became a certified life coach. But I also say, look, if we want to do a little Botox with it, let's do it. Let's have fun with it. Um, and let's make you look fresh and awake. And one more thing I want to say, I feel like I talk so much. I'm sorry. That's um, what you're here for. <laughs> the one fascinating thing about how we feel and about Botox, it really ties in because they've now done research that shows that people who get Botox treatment here in this frown area actually report uh, lower stress and happier feeling. And I believe it's because we have this uh, neurological, you know, biofeedback, like from the 60s and 70s, biofeedback, that when we're not carrying this tension, 
in our faces. It actually triggers our vagus nerve to be calmer and it lowers our stress levels. When we look at ourselves and we're smiling more and we feel more like our faces are more relaxed and smiling, it actually calms our bodies and it calms our nervous systems. So in that way, there is something valuable and positive about Botox that is real. But culturally, I want us to be careful. Very good. I, I like that answer. That Angela want to know what foods can help with eczema. Eczema is a very broadly used term that can mean everything from a true medical form of eczema that's almost an allergic reaction to a true trigger, all the way to very dry skin that has become a problem because dry skin is itchy and then we scratch it and we make worse and worse rashes. So eczema can be caused by um, lots of different factors. Very rarely, very rarely is real eczema caused by food. It's not usually caused by eating a certain food. Usually most people's eczema is caused by over cleaning the skin, excessive exposure to water, soap and scrubbing and removing our own natural oils and then not replacing them with moisturizer and protecting our skin. Now, of course, this especially comes up in winter. Xerosis, which is X-E-R-O-S-I-S, -S, is extreme dryness that can lead to eczema. And there's that can be a type of eczema on our hands from excessive hand washing. We can have cracked red dry skin on our hands from xerotic eczema. But our hands can also have a type of eczema called dyshydrotic eczema, which is D-Y-S-H-I-D-R-O-T-I-C. And the reason I wanna bring that up is that's eczema that is actually triggered by water damage. When we have our hands in water too much, cleaning, cleaning dishes, cleaning babies, cleaning around the house, um, a job that involves hands in water a lot, we actually create water damage on the skin and the skin will, the outer layer of our skin gets dried out by the water and soap exposure. And it will shrink a little bit and create these little bubbles on our fingertips. The bubbles tend to dry and crack and peel. So people can have these peely and bubbly um, hands and fingers that are that get worse and worse because those hands keep going into the water and getting more and more damaged those hands and all all eczema all hand eczema has to be repaired by removing the trigger removing the water removing soap and removing the excessive dry air from being able to touch the skin of course we have to wash our hands and we have to do dishes so no touching a dish and really no touching a baby in the bathtub without a big rubber glove on potentially and I recommend that my patients who have hand eczema put a barrier cream all over their hands every half hour and or every single time their hands come into contact with water. So that means you're wearing an invisible glove of a artificial barrier on the outside of your skin all the time around the clock. And what that does is it keeps the water and the soap off your skin and it allows your skin to heal itself from inside, which is what it's trying to do constantly. But when the barrier is damaged, our own water, our own moisture in our skin escapes by evaporation 
and the cells get dry and they can't move around and heal themselves. That, that water loss through the skin is called transepidermal water loss, water loss through the epidermis. And in scientific research, they call that the TEWL, transepidermal water loss. So with eczema, we're always trying to reduce the transepidermal water loss. So less exposure to water and more moisturized barrier, which is true on the body too, not just the hands. Oh, excellent. I think oh. you helped a lot of people today. <laughs> I'm sorry, I have to actually answer the actual question. I do have one answer for that. Um, it, it has been shown in studies that adding flax seeds to your diet every single day can help to um, improve the omega-3 fatty acid component of the skin, which does help to maintain and repair and make more resilient that barrier layer. So, and that keeps a little bit more natural oils in the skin. But if you're in the bath every day or 45 minute hot shower or washing your all of your dishes with your own bare hands every day, flax seeds are not gonna fix it. Okay, very good advice. So woman wants to know, is biotin good for brittle nails, hair? If so, where can I get it and how do I use it? Only the biotin has been this unproven mythological fix for nails and hair for a long time. It has now been shown that only if you are deficient in actual biotin by a blood test by your doctor would supplementing biotin potentially help. Biotin alone is not really proven to be a fix for nails and hair. There are some um, very fancy over-the-counter nail and hair supplements that may help, but really eating a varied, well-balanced plant-based diet with lots of whole grains and also nuts and seeds and keeping your hair and your nails well moisturized is really the best bet. Yeah, that's good to hear because there are some people that are doing the plant-based lifestyle. I do SOS free, no sugar oil or salt, but I do have nuts and seeds. But there are some people that are on an extreme low fat version and that could be maybe something that even like you said with the flax seed or, or, or something that they should maybe consider adding. Yeah, people who wanna have zero fats and have no nuts and seeds and no oils, no avocados, you know, there could be a, an impact on hair and nails and of course on skin and maybe vision and other things. So in that extreme case, I really recommend that somebody also be following with a very experienced plant-based registered dietitian because that's getting to be very restrictive. Well, here's an interesting one. Rebecca asks, I've been told to use hemorrhoid cream for my bags under my eyes. Do I put it on thick, thin, before bed, before you put on your makeup? A few decades ago, preparation the original Preparation H hemorrhoid cream had an ingredient in it that did help to shrink bags under eyes. And that's bags that stick out. A lot of people call hollows under the eyes bags, but bags that puff out are real bags under the eyes. The hollows are not bags. But that whatever that ingredient was that was in the old fashioned Preparation H was taken out a long time ago. So I don't actually believe that it is proven to be true anymore that that's helpful. At first, for a while, that ingredient was taken out of the American preparation H, but still in the Canadian. 
but I don't even think that that's true anymore. So I can't answer how to use that hemorrhoid cream for under eyes right now. Okay. Well, that's good because that's true. Things do change. And even the things, the foods that we eat, that you have to always read those labels because ingredients change over time. And I was having a mustard that was low salt. And then I looked at the label and then all of a sudden they were adding a lot more salt to it. So you just have to keep looking at those labels. That's right. Lorna wants to know, do face rollers work? Oh, I've seen all these kinds of things <laughs> advertised. Uh, but fa if this, the micro needle face rollers, I would never recommend anybody to use at home. It could be potentially dangerous scarring. It's totally unregulated. And on the Amazon, they're selling some things that are not FDA approved at all in the United States and are um, potentially could scar you and cause infections. So I won't even say, I won't even talk about those. The smooth jade rollers and the gua sha face rollers, you know, they are fun and they're, they can be soothing and calming, especially if you keep them in the refrigerator and they're nice and cool. Um, but they don't do anything magical. What they do is they help lymphatic drainage. You know, they just help squeeze kind of excess fluid out of your skin. You can do it with your own fingertips. Um, they, the, the, if they're cold, they may help to shrink the blood vessels that are right in the surface of your skin temporarily, which can reduce the amount of fluids that is, uh, that are directed to the surface of your skin. So they may temporarily depuff you, but they're not any kind of, you know, magical anti-aging tool. Okay. Maybe it gives you time to meditate. Maybe that part of it might be good. Oh, you know, I want to say one more thing. Yeah. There are cells in our skin called fibroblasts, and those are cells that create new collagen. Fibroblasts are, as we get older, they slow down in the collagen production. So how do we trigger them to make more collagen? Um, one way that they get triggered to stimulate more collagen production is by getting damaged and, and injured. And we do that with lasers or potentially controlled microneedling in the office. That's a controlled injury that's set at a set at a certain density and a certain depth so we don't create scarring. But injured fibroblasts get signaled to ramp up collagen production. But that is not the only way that they are signaled to increase collagen production. They are also signaled to increase collagen when they feel that they're being stretched, when they feel that the skin is getting tight and we maybe we need to make more room so we need to make more skin. We need to make more collagen. So when a fibroblast feels a stretch, it also signals new collagen formation. So the massaging and the stretching of the skin and the old fashioned, you know, things they used to do. I don't know if it's extreme enough to really trigger collagen formation, but if the skin feels like it may be getting a little bit injured, it's potentially can be creating more collagen. It's one of the ways that fillers injectable hyaluronic acid fillers that go under the skin and take up space. It's been shown that over time, they actually do hold up a little longer because they are creating new collagen in the skin, both from the needle poking, creating the injury, but also from the filler in there taking up space and stretching those fibroblasts a little bit. So the face roller question, it's not as straightforward, you know, as I, as it might sound. Interesting. As I heard about 
they talk about face yoga or something. I don't even know what it is, but <laughs> to me, I think that anytime somebody takes out some time for themselves and isn't running around doing things, that maybe even just to reduce the stress, it could be helpful. If you took that roller on your face and you know, and it just made you check out for a couple of minutes, so maybe you would reduce some stress and maybe that could be helpful. But and then I remember that thing, yeah. Reducing stress directly impacts our aging and directly impacts our brain health and our sleep quality and of course our digestion and they all impact each other. So you're totally right that the, the ritual of our self-care, whatever it is, as long as it's not hurting us, helps to absolutely reduce stress and you know, reduce wrinkles that indirect way as well. Okay, and you were talking about collagen. So Gina wanna know, is it helpful for older women to take collagen orally? If so, how much, how often, which brand? <laughs> yeah, I can't answer the how much, how often and which brand. That's, that's a little too um, specific for what I'm prepared to answer. But I can say that I thought it was a complete myth and ridiculous that eating collagen would make any difference because our bodies can take the building blocks of our food and make collagen. We don't need to eat it. We don't need to eat animal skin and animal flesh and animal joints, which is the only source of collagen um, in order to make collagen. But our collagen production does slow down, as I just said, as we get older. So it turns out that a very, a, a friend of mine who's a brilliant scientific mind, who also was a collagen supplement skeptic, he did look into the research and he found a study that he believed showed that collagen supplements from animals do actually help the skin to some degree. Um, I think it's brand, brand new. Um, and personally for me, not worth it because I am 100% plant-based and I, my body, I know if I feed it properly, a varied diet with plenty of vitamin C, zinc, and magnesium, which and which help to support the formation of collagen, um, my body will make its own collagen. The vegan, there's no such thing as a truly vegan collagen supplement, but there are vegan collagen boosters, which contain some of these micronutrients that help our body make collagen maybe a little more easily if we're missing some of the nutrient in our diet. But of course, I always advocate the most varied whole food plant diet that we can possibly manage. Well, that's good. I'm, I think that there might be a lot of people that weren't aware of the vegan or non-vegan connection to collagen. So that's really very right. important. People, a lot of people who are healthy and plant-based think of collagen. They just thought of it as like a vitamin. They don't realize that it's coming from animals. Yeah. Something that you get from a plant or something. I don't know. <laughs> You know, I've been fascinated lately learning about ultraviolet light and infrared light and how it helps with the health of us. And a lot of the plant-based doctors are talking about getting out in the sun. But from what I've been learning, you don't necessarily have to be in the direct sun in the middle of the day that maybe you could be in the sun in the morning or the evening to get this infrared light. Let's talk about the balance between the sunscreen, because it's not just about vitamin D anymore. Now it's about getting infrared light. I don't know if you've been hearing about that latest thing that's coming out, but let's just talk about the balance between sunscreen and 
getting our sunlight, which I think we all need. Right. There's, uh, it's such a complex and fascinating topic. Of course, I am a board certified dermatologist. So you and I, I did grow up in South Florida, lying in the sun as much as humanly possible to get as tan as possible. I have to say, but when I learned, when I finally finished college and medical school, and then was training in dermatology, as soon as I started learning about the damage that ultraviolet radiation can do to us and cause cancer, I really stopped lying out in the sun for the purpose of being tan. So it's been a whole career of that message with don't go out in the sun in the middle of the day, try to wear sunscreen and wear a hat and, you know, be active outdoors, but don't get burned. Only recently has that controversial, you know, but sunlight is healthy for us. We need sun bubbled up strongly enough that I've really seen just fascinating re research and evidence now that it's not just about avoiding the sun and taking a vitamin D supplement. The vitamin D we really, really need. We can get it from supplementation, but it turns out that the vitamin D level in our skin from the sun may not just have been about vitamin D production, but that the vitamin D is a marker for whether we're getting enough sun in general to also have other beneficial effects. And I wanna talk about the spectrum of what's in sunlight, because you mentioned both infrared radiation and also ultraviolet. And just to review for everybody the spectrum, because in my second grade science fair project, I tried to do a project about the rainbow. Um, so I've always loved prisms and spectrums. That rainbow is the part of the sunlight that's the visible light spectrum. And on the blue side, goes farther and farther out and becomes ultra, it's vi blue, then violet, and then ultraviolet. And the red side becomes infrared, which is below red. Infrared radiation is invisible to us, but it's, we feel it as heat. So when we feel heat, that is infrared radiation. So saunas and things that are heat are uh, infrared. Ultraviolet um, is not hot, but it, it penetrates our skin and can cause cancer and aging. But ultraviolet radiation also helps our skin regulate our immune system. And it turns out that there's research that not getting enough of the ultraviolet rays on our skin may dysregulate our immune system and potentially increase the risk of getting an autoimmune condition. There's some evidence that autoimmune diseases and conditions are more prevalent in higher latitudes farther away from the equator. Um, so I just think that's fascinating. It's called immuno, uh, in photoimmunology, sun and immunology. And we've learned during COVID especially that infrared, the heat, heat and ex cold, that extreme cold and going back and forth between heat and cold is actually also good for triggering, strengthening um, a balance in our immune systems. So I say now, we do want to get some sun on our skin. We want to get um, sunlight and blue sky. The blue wavelength of the blue sky is actually beneficial for getting triggered certain receptors in the back of our eyes, in our retina, a fourth type of photoreceptor um, that recognizes that blue wavelength and triggers our circadian rhythm, our daily metabolism 
rhythm of sleep and wake and digestion and rest, um, not getting that blue sky sunlight on our eyeballs every day is very confusing to our bodies. And getting the sun, getting enough sun so that we can balance our immune systems and reduce our stress levels without causing ourselves skin cancer, but also not causing too much aging um, is really the way to go. There's There is now more and more research about where you live and how many minutes you have sunlight you should get every day that I don't have memorized, but people can start to look it up. Yeah, it's so important. And there's just so much new research coming out. And it's so impressive that you're all up on that. <laughs> I just think it's so fascinating. I really love it. Well, you have so much information to share. And I, I wish we could, I, I'd like to have you back because it's just, we haven't even begin to talk about so many other things that you're so familiar with. Linda asked this question. She wanted to know, do glass windows filter out UV rays and would people who drive with sun on their left arm be putting up some kind of filter like truck drivers? Um, most car glass does filter UV now. And there are also now, uh, if necessary or if interested, UV filters for truck and car windows that are clear. So that's easy to do. Um, of course, it's, it's very classic and telltale that people would come in with more sun damage on the left side of their faces and on their left arms and hands from being in the driver's seat, literally. So sun, you know, you do get more sun in that position, but generally windows filter out a lot of it. But if, you know, want, you want to be extra careful, you can get the clear UV filters put on the windows. Okay, very good. Well, I just wanted to get that question answered. So I want to tell people that you have a lot of great things to learn from. For example, people can follow you on Instagram on Dr. Krant the Skin MD. And we have we're gonna put links for all that for you guys in the show notes. And you started up a podcast and that they can get that at podpage.com, save hyphen your own skin. We'll put a link to that too. And I got to listen to a couple of the episodes that you put up, which I thought were excellent. And I can't believe that a busy doctor like you could have time to do anything. <laughs> Plus you're doing interviews like this. And then you, on top of it, you did a couple of podcasts. So that was really impressive and very, very nice to listen to. Then the other thing I want to tell people about, and we'll put a link for that as well, is that you can sign up for a newsletter and it's artofdermatology.com. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of information there that people are going to want to know about. So so generous of you to put out all this information for people to benefit from. I wanted to thank you, Dr. Krant. It's been such a pleasure to have you on this broadcast and you have answered all these questions for people. I know that there, you've changed a lot of viewpoints probably and, and given a lot of information and so helpful. Can you just briefly talk about the importance of seeing a dermatologist? Because I think that we really need to just say that if, briefly, if you can. Right. You know, we didn't really talk about skin cancer uh, during this whole show. Not really. So first, I just want to say thank you so much for having me. I've had so much fun. And you can tell I'm really enthusiastic about all of this stuff. It's so fascinating and amazing to me. And I'm so happy to be able to teach it. So thank you for having me. And uh, you know, it's important to see a dermatologist at least once a year for a complete scalp to toe skin cancer screening. 
because although you look at your most of your skin, you don't, you're not able to see what's inside your hair. You're not really able to see everywhere behind you. And we check between your toes. We check your nails because nails can get skin cancer. And we check the moles and spots that you may not realize are suspicious. So we just like to make sure nobody is walking around with a small skin cancer that can be removed because skin cancer can be, can be deadly. And also we love to give tips for keeping your skin healthy, your hair healthy, your nails healthy. And you know, if you find a plant-based dermatologist like me, we love to talk about also lifestyle, nutrition, and all the other factors. So um, come see us. Yes, thank you. And it's so the early detection can be so easily remedied. And so people shouldn't be afraid to go. It should be something that they just want to get taken care of really quick. That also helps to reduce the stress, knowing that if something is found, that it can be taken care of. And if nothing is found, then you can walk away thinking that you did something good for your life, which is so important. So I wanted to ask people that are watching and listening, if you could type in to help other people who are going to be hopping on later, what were things that you're going to remember from this broadcast? What's your takeaway? And I also wanted to tell you guys to stay tuned for a special announcement from Just Task Voice. And she's been so helpful in doing all of our voiceovers and announcements and so forth. So Just Task Voice, tell us who's coming up next. If we want to lower chronic inflammation, Dr. Christina Miller, MD, says the microbiome is a good place to start. Learn how to lower inflammation on Be Green with Amy live Wednesday, February 9th, 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific. Well, until I see you guys again, remember, be strong, be well, and be green. <laughs> Bye-bye, everyone. Now you can listen to Be Green with Amy expert interviews wherever you go. Listen while walking, meal prepping, or traveling. Find Be Green with Amy on Apple, Google, Alexa, Amazon, or virtually anywhere you find podcasts. Be strong, be well, and be green with Be Green with Amy.